Chapter 5 Anchor Ragnar loomed large in his croft-house doorway. His very bulk a challenge, nay, a threat to the timid woman barring his way. His throat was raw, his breath short, and his hide coat hung wet and heavy on his back. He looked angry at seeing the woman there, more even than usual. He was angry. The anger masked his fear. The woman hitched her doishan up around her face, leaving only her eyes visible, startled brown eyes fixed upon him, on his sweat-streaked face, thicket beard gripped grey from three days' hard ride across the plains, on his threatening skull. Horn Ragnar, we did not look to see you till morning. Anchor looked past her, his skull intensifying. We? When did it begin? At first light, Horn Ragnar, don't worry. We've been with her all the day. You'll soon have your son. His son. He made to push her aside and would have, but for a second figure that moved to block his way. A tall figure, this, dressed entirely in black. Black skirts, voluminous black overblouse, black fringed doishang. Anne Hilda. Wait. Her low voice carried a man's authority. His lip curled in disgust. Who sent for you, hag woman? Without a word, Anhilda backed him out and down the steps into the failing light and fixed her dark brown eyes upon him. A body has a right to see her own daughter delivered. She closed the door firmly behind her and placed her back against it, reversing by this simple move the polarity between them. She now the dominant one, he now gazing up at her, the supplicant. His face darkened. One hand would snap her into, and she were a withered stick. As ever, she seemed unfazed by his skull. Don't worry. Vorin didn't ask for me, so don't be angry at her. She wouldn't dream of disobeying you, poor child, though her life hung in the balance. I myself insisted on staying until you got back, at least. Well, now I'm back, so take yourself off. And Hilda stayed put, skirts flapping, ragged in the wind. Go on, get out. He waved his hands at her, careful not to touch her all the same. The scorder 
slipped her doishan back off her tight-coiled hair, careless of her face revealed. You're a rough, hard man, Ankaragnar, she said. Yet that I can forgive. For isn't it ever the way of men? But your obstinacy and stupidity, no. She lowered her voice. Obstinacy at wedding her. Stupidity at getting her with child again, knowing full well the risk. Quiet, gross woman. He wished that he dared shout the words, then seize her and hurl her from his door. He looked fearfully from right to left, then behind him, up the empty street. The child came, unbidden, he muttered, turning back towards her. She laughed, of course. She knew as well as he that no man gave seed carelessly in the fend, where every additional mouth threatened their very survival. That fact her laugh underscored, that and her easy ascendancy over him. But she wouldn't win this time. This time he was ready. All right. What if it didn't? And what if the first one didn't either? A perfectly normal child, that one was. My son and everything I wanted, murdered by you, his own grandmother, in the womb. What would Vorim say if she knew, woman? And Hedman La, what would he do with you, huh? How many times must I say? The child aborted naturally, and too soon for any to know if it were a son or anything else, Anne Hilda said firmly. But son or no, normal or no, I had naught to do with its ceasing. A scorder works for life, not death, as in your heart you are aware. She moved down a step, pointing a long brown finger at him, backing him off onto the path. Listen. I risked my life and hers to tell you why you mustn't wed her and why she should not be with child. You gave your word on your very father's honour that you'd mind my warning, and twice now you've broken it. Did I not say that a second time would be even more dangerous? There's only one thing worse than a fool, Anka Ragnar, and that's a stubborn one. You've done my daughter grievous wrong, worse. You not only barred her from my help, but had to be away when her time came. Her voice went deep with passion. Oh, how could you? when you knew it was so close. She was eyeing the fat swatch of leather tallies at his belt. Red for the cows, 
blue for the bulls, and white, the prized white for the harlings. He patted them defiantly. I had to go. Else lose these to the others or the snows. I delayed going as long as I could and came back as soon as I could. Even now, Horan Shan's bringing in my herd with his own, and you can imagine how dear that's costing me. Not enough, Ankaragna, not enough. Tell me, how much dearer will it cost you when they come to burn you? Hmm? And what use is a son who proves an orbegon? The denial stuck in his throat. You think not? She shook her head slowly. Day after day I watched Vori's belly swell, hoping you'd recover your senses and put aside our quarrel for her sake, for all our sakes. But no, you never sent for me. Even when you'd gone, Vorin wouldn't open her door to me, her own mother, for fear of crossing me. By the time I heard of her labouring, she'd already sent for those three in there, and why not, poor child, in her precious innocence, having nothing to fear? Oh, what have you done in your obstinacy and stupidity? The fear started in him then, and rage and hate. Enough! Stand aside and let me pass. My son will be as he should be. And Hilda stood her ground. Are you sure? You don't look it. Her voice softened. Come, tell them inside that you and I have settled old scores and send them home. You may be sorry else. A low moaning came from inside, followed by the murmur of women's voices and the chink of a pail. Anchor's mouth went dry. Anger and anxiety churned inside him. Foolish and obstinate, she called him. If she be at risk, Scorda, the fault is yours. You're the Orbegon's source, not I. If the child turn out so, the taint's on your head, not mine. And Hilda pursed her mouth deepening the runnels, fanning from nose to lip, stippling the chin. Taint? Blame, more like. I should have known that your desire for a son would prove too strong. That, and your willful pride, the same bull pride that keeps you even now from hearing sense. Another moan, more urgent than the first, began a weird ascent to a higher, louder pitch. Abruptly, Anker moved off the steps and pressed his face to the tiny window by the door. And Hilda's eyes were on him. She'd know full well 
he'd turned aside not so much to see into the room as to shut her off. Suddenly she spoke out again. Not in her normal voice this time, but in her strange soothsaying chant, starting the hairs on his flesh. Pride and Karagnar and stubbornness will one day bring your death. Do you hear? He went quite still, said nothing, waiting to hear what more she might utter. But she only sighed at last and said, I shall go. He heard the crunch of her boots as, gathering up her heavy skirts, she started down the steps at last. Still he didn't move, but stayed, face to the window, blindly looking in. Her footsteps halted on the path behind him. Yet shall my mind stay open to this house. You may have need of me before the day is through. Her boots ground over the short shingle path and out onto the rutted road. Now, now he allowed himself to turn and watch her black shrouded form recede up the hill and merge with the deepening dusk. Cunning old miper! Had that sing-song voice been genuine? Or had she assumed it to frighten him? Had she spoken true or false? As Skorda? Or as jealous hag? Fresh sweat pricked his brow. What if she really had spoken true, and the child proved not as it should be? He moved from the window and up the steps. Nonsense. It would be normal as the first, whatever Anne Hilda said. She'd never wanted to give up her precious daughter, and this was just a ruse to regain control. But... Even as on the day he'd accused her of giving Vorine to drink that which thrust from her body the tiny life stirring within it, so again he'd trust his instincts. She was simply playing on his fears to wrest Vorine from him. For how could she know that a second child wouldn't be as normal as the first? And why should he believe her? when she'd lied the first time. The child would be normal. He'd made up his mind quite firmly that the risk was minimal. The shock of learning that the Skorda herself had been born an Obergon, that she'd had her third eye cut out secretly at birth while her parents were out on a summer grazing, had long since faded, and... After all, Vreen herself had not turned out to be one, had she? In excising the eye, had not the knife removed the taint also? The scorder herself had admitted that this could be the case. 
but could be, she'd insisted, was not reason enough to justify the risk of begetting another generation. Even now he was not so sure that that tale hadn't been one huge lie to keep for him from him. Had even thought thus in the heat of the night that the child was conceived. The second time he'd deliberately forborne to chew the borough seed. Still, he passed his palm across his brow. The appalling risk. Why, 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 of all the dwellers of the fend, had he desired Voreen for? He put his hand to the latch. Curious how now that he was free to enter, he was reluctant, almost afraid to do so. He knew, everyone knew, the terrible chain of events to which such a birth would give rise. The ritual snapping of the child's neck at the father's hand before the headman and the council of six. The headman's formal call for docimacy to determine blame for its appearance. If laid on the father, his choice was between castration and death. If the mother, her sole option was submission to the scorer's knife, like to end in death anyway. The laying of blame was ever a matter of expediency, for who in that close society could claim to be entirely free of the taint? Since in this case he comforted himself, it was between a valuable master-herder and a mere hearthraker, they'd likely blame Vorine. But could he see Anne Hilda taking up the knife against her own? And, after he had so willfully defied her, could he see her doing that and letting him go unscathed? Tell me, how much dearer will it cost you when they come to burn you, hmm? He laid his head against the door. The choice between castration and death was for those innocently responsible. If Anhilda denounced him as foreknowing, then they all three would go to the stake. Oh, how conspicuous he must look, hovering by his own door. Anchor snapped up the latch and pushed through. At that instant, there came an anguished cry from the bed and muffled exclamations from the women. He stood, blinking the last of the daylight from his eyes. The women were staring at something, and he was never to forget the sight as long as he lived. Something pale and gleaming that one of the women held suspended by the heels. She shook it once or twice, 
as one shook a deadly shofar to snap its neck. Then she examined it again. It hung still, without a sound. One terrified look she shot anchor, then, in her nervous haste, she bound the thing in the cloth Spreen had laid out ready, bindings lovingly stitched these many months. Then the woman laid it in the wooden box, which was to have served as cradle, and dragged the box away around to the foot of the bed. The other two, with eyes averted, busied themselves, bathing Vorine, changing water in a pan. Anchor, unable to move or speak, watched the first woman place the ritual orat leaves over the baby's face to seal in the soul, over eyes, ears, nose, mouth, and then his heart twisted in his breast over the brow. Vorine lay on an old sheet, dark hair caught up in the birthing cap, eyes closed, thick dark lashes curling on smooth firm cheeks, sallowed by the flame of rancid turmoil. She must have sensed that he was there. Anchor. With an effort, he stirred himself, and moving forward, took her hand. At his touch, her eyes half opened, shadowy, unfocused. He swallowed. How do you feel? Tired. Baby, is he? Did I? He forced a smile, nodded. Show me, Anka. Show me. He shook her hand gruffly. It sleeps. When you wake, will be soon enough. Rest now. He bent to kiss her jumped forehead. Even before he straightened, her eyes had closed again. The women had been watching from the foot of the bed. Right sorry we are to see this, Horan Ragnar. That from the one who'd met him at the door. The one who'd held up the child. He knew her now. Wife of Horan Pahar, the Adahi handler, and member of the Council of Six. However could this have come to pass upon your house? He faced them dumbly, unable to answer. I can't understand why still they come, after all these cycles of time, she went on nervously. Your blood is untainted, I swear, for well I know your mother's house and your father's too. Your wife, one of the others nudged her, looking to the bed. The woman reddened, raised her droisham over her face, forgotten in the heat of the birth. We must go to Horan Law, the nudger said. No. 
His voice was harsh, too harsh, as he saw from their recoil. Relenting, he came as near to an apology as man would to woman, in the fend. I, I'm tired from the herding. My thanks for attending my wife, and for the good broth on the hearth. I shall myself go straightway after I've supped to inform Headman Law of this theme. You'll not speak of it, meanwhile. Of course, Horan Ragnar. They bowed their muffled heads. We wish you well, and sound sleep to your poor dear wife until the morrow. As the door finally closed on them, Anchor's shoulders sagged. Those last words hadn't been lost on him. He looked across the room to Vorin and prayed that she not waken until the business was done. Poor Vorin, who'd been so happy when he'd left for the herding. Don't worry, she'd told him, laughing and patting her proud sunlit belly. I'll hold him in till your return. The rage surged within him against the bloodbane that plagued their race without warning, against the scorder for carrying it, even momentarily against Vorin, against anyone and anything but himself. Oh, what have you done in your obstinacy and stupidity? He crossed to the hearth. He was hungry, and in no fit state to think and act sensibly. He ladled up a bowl of broth, but after only a spoon or two, he set it down, slopping it out onto the tiles, and strode back to the foot of the bed. Of course it hadn't moved. Like all such, it looked dead. For full half a sun around, they were said to lie so. Had Elmhilda Ford lain thus? If so, how had she stayed concealed? His son. Anchor's mouth twisted. Son, he'd forborne to ask. Why, with his own hands he'd snap its neck that night, before Headman Law and the Council of Six. Such was the law. The little head caught his eye and would not let go. So beautiful it looked under the dark green orat leaves, could there, could there have been some mistake? He reached out and lifted the leaf off its brow. In the yellow light, the livid cicatrice glowed in its centre, the bruised and bossy swelling looking for all the world like a third closed eye in the sleeping face. Tenderness vanished, replaced 
by revulsion and fresh fear. What if, what if Hora Aha disregarded his command and told her husband of this thing? Was the council even now convening to march upon him? One quick glance at Forine still sound asleep. Then he bent down, swept up the box and its contents, bore it out and around to the refuse pit at the back of the house, where he hurled it from him. The little box flew out in a wide arc to land with a wet thud upside down in the swill pile. Anchor brushed his hands together as though to clean them. Then, without a backward glance, he strode off up the hill to the house of Ingat Lar.